0: Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're with us. Good Sunday to be here. We're starting a new series called The Advent, and we'll tell you what that means exactly in a a few minutes. If You paid attention to the intro video. um, It kind of tells you where we're going in the next three weeks leading up to Christmas. And uh, I think it appeals to me and hopefully to the child and all of us, especially this Christmas season. Today's topic is preparing the way, second week in Advent, and uh, I don't know about your house, but our house, Christmas doesn't get mentioned up through Thanksgiving Day, Uh, the day after, that Friday, guess what happens first thing in the morning, Uh, it's just my wife and I now at our house, we have a whole section of our garage with decorations for Christmas, And my job is to pull those out and carry them upstairs first thing Friday morning. And um, so we begin to prepare for Christmas. And if you've been here for a while, you know that my wife really likes to prepare. In fact, we don't really decorate our house. We remodel our house for Christmas. And I'm going to show you a picture of what I mean. This is how many Christmas trees we have in one room. All right, our great room. And this is new over here, the tree on the right. This is actually a live, uh, real Christmas tree. We haven't had one of those in like 30 years. Uh, the reason we do now, my wife's, uh, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister Nancy, married a guy that has a Christmas tree farm. And uh, found out that pastors get trees free. Uh, the good Christian people. So we got that tree for free. And of course, that's just one more tree <laughs> for us to decorate in our house. Of course, it's not just decorations when you prepare for Christmas. There's food decora- uh, decorations or, or preparations. There is uh, uh, music. You know, uh, this year, I don't think my wife played any Christian music until after Thanksgiving. Um, so... Christmas is a time that you prepare for. We don't just wake up Christmas morning and say, hey, it's Christmas, do we? It's a time of preparation. It's been that way for over 2,700 years, believe it or not. 700 years before the first Christmas, a prophet, a guy in the Old Testament, by the name of Isaiah said, we need to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, which we know is Jesus. So 700 years ago. About 300 years later, another prophet by the name of Malachi, it's the last part of the Old Testament, he said, hey, we need to be ready and prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And then we fast forward 400 years after that. And uh, there's a guy by the name of Zechariah. He is a priest in the temple. Pretty important job. And his wife, Elizabeth, they were a special couple because they were both descendants of priests. Uh, Zechariah really wasn't as important in his lineage as Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a descendant of the first high priest, Aaron, uh, Moses' brother. First high priest. So if you go descendants down from Aaron, you get to Elizabeth. So they're this couple serving in the temple. And the Bible describes uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth as uh, righteous in God's eyes. Now, nobody's perfect But these folks did their best to love God and love people and serve God and serve in the temple. And they weren't just righteous in their own eyes or righteous in other people's eyes. They were righteous in God's eyes. That means they tried to do what was right. So, one day, Zachariah is serving in the temple. He took his turn. They didn't serve all the time, but he's doing something with the incense and crazy day, this angel, describes himself as Gabriel, comes and talks to Zechariah. And he says, Zechariah, <laughs> you're going to have a son. Now, back up a little bit. They were, his wife was too old to have children at this point. And one of the uh, sadnesses, even uh, uh, negative things in their life, even though they, they were considered righteous by God, was the fact that she didn't have children. This was... Uh, 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 almost a curse to a Jewish woman not to be able to have children so yes now that she's past childbearing age she is going to have a child and Zachariah uh, he's afraid first like we would be if we saw an angel and then the angel says don't be afraid and then he says how can this be and he didn't really believe it and like you and I probably wouldn't believe it and so as a consequence the angel took his voice away uh, he couldn't talk anymore so he finished his service in the temple, they went back home, and lo and behold, in a short time, Elizabeth gets pregnant, just like the angel had said. And then about six months later, one of the main characters in the Christmas story, Mary gets pregnant. Kind of the same thing, angel comes to her and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, it's going to be a miraculous birth, not through your husband, but through God himself, as amazing as that is, and Mary uh, accepts that and Of course, and then later, an angel comes to Joseph, because Joseph has trouble accepting that. They were engaged, but hadn't hadn't been intimate. And she was pregnant, and what would you guys think if you're an engaged lady that was pregnant? Same thing he thought. But the angel goes, no, 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 it's okay. This is God's son. And they both had enough faith to believe that. Anyway, after, that, after Mary was pregnant, she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. They're cousins. And an interesting thing, the way the Bible describes it is that Elizabeth's child, who's at least six months old at this point, leaps in her womb in response to the fact that they come, she comes in contact with uh, the baby Jesus, still in the womb, acknowledging that. So that precedes, or as we're going to find out, prepares the nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. So, we call this Advent. What does Advent mean? Well, it means a couple things. It means coming and waiting. As we said, the the nation of Israel has been waiting for 700 years for the Messiah to come. But we are also in in a stage of waiting. Uh, The reason the Jews don't accept Jesus is because he didn't fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah. The Christian, the Christian church, Christians, Jesus followers, we believe in Jesus because we understand that he came that time to fulfill the sacrificial part of uh, the prophecy and he's going to come back a second time to kind of wrap up all of history. And so we are waiting... For a coming, just as they were waiting for a coming. But we're also celebrating the fact that he came the first time. And that's, of course, what Christmas is about. Now, we're going to be looking at something Luke wrote. Now, Luke wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He actually hung out with Paul that we talk about a lot and wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he's described as a doctor or a scientist. And consequently, he was really good about details, In fact, the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth is only in Luke. It's not written in the other, uh, Matthew, Mark, or John. So he was writing with detail, did a lot of research. He kind of checked and double-checked before he wrote stuff down. And so it's kind of like a historical document, what what Luke writes. And we're going to look at chapter 3, and I skipped the first verse because the first verse has a bunch of names that I didn't know how to pronounce about people whose political office in the time of... Jesus. So he wanted to make sure people understood this was factual, this really happened, you know, these were real people, etc. So we're going to look at a guy named John, Elizabeth's son, that we know today as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And we're going to be reading the story from again Luke and look at three aspects to John's message. So let's start with the first part of his message was this. John had a message of Repentance. And that's kind of interesting. We don't normally think of repentance connected with Christmas, do we? Uh, none of us ask. I want repentance for Christmas. I want repentance under the tree. But that was part of John's message. So we're going to start reading uh, something that Luke wrote, actually in chapter 3, verse 2. He gives us some other people, that, famous people, who were in positions of authority. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. Now, Zechariah was a priest, but he wasn't a high priest. The high priest was the top guy. Kind of like the Pope uh, for Catholic people. Catholic church. The fascinating thing is originally they only had one high priest. Aaron. And when Aaron died, they got another high priest. Somehow by the time of Jesus, they had two high priests. Now, we're not sure why. Uh, Some speculation that one was kind of the choice of of the Jewish religious leaders and one was kind of put in place by the Romans who were actually in control at this time. So they had two high priests and they, they, you know, history says that's the two guys that were high priests in that day. This is historical fact. Now, if you wanted to get a message from God in that day, who would you expect to get it from? The high priest. Like if you're Catholic, you would expect to get that message from the Pope. Well, even those guys were the most famous in their day. They didn't have the message from God. This guy named John did. And we still know about John today. Nobody talks about Annas or Caiaphas anymore today, do they? They had a religious or political position. And John had no position. Yet, as we're going to read, at this time a message from God came to John. Son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was living in the wilderness. Now, he wasn't in Jerusalem either. He wasn't at the temple. He was out in the wilderness. So, it's interesting that the message didn't come through who you expect it to come through. So, it's not about who you are, what position you have. It's about whose you are, or who, how connected you are to God. Just like, I'm the person that stands up here and talks, but God may give you a message for our congregation it doesn't get to me in fact you're, you're, the church's leadership is actually meeting in retreat this Saturday and everybody will get to share what God is saying to them for our church so in this case it was John he's giving a message to the nation of Israel not the people you would expect the priests or the two high priests so what was his message what did message God gave John went from place to place, both sides of the Jordan River, so that kind of shows where he is, outside of Jerusalem, preaching to the peop- that people should be baptized to, sh- to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, the interesting thing about baptism back then was it was usually for non-Jewish people, they called them Gentiles, people that weren't Jews that wanted to become Jews. Right? And so one way you did that was to be baptized. It wasn't normally Jewish people that got baptized. Now, John's audience were Jewish people. The majority were Jewish people. And he was preaching, you needed to be baptized to show that you had repented of your sins. We'll talk about what that means in a few minutes. And turn to God. Now, we can be repent or be sorry for our sins, sorry for the wrong things we do, sorry for the people we hurt, we can ask them to forgive us. We can apologize, right? But that doesn't mean you've turned to God. You can do that without turning to God. Uh, the problem is they may forgive you, but you haven't received God's forgiveness unless you've repented of your sins and turned and asked God's forgiveness. that makes sense? So you can make a change, but not be forgiven unless you turn to God. So that was his message. And then he quotes that guy is talking about Isaiah from 700 years previous. Um, Next verse. Isaiah has spoken of John when he said. So Luke is writing this and he said, okay, talking about this John that went on about baptizing, but he was talked about 700 years earlier. He was, we would say, prophesied about. Somebody said, this guy's going to come along. Didn't know how long it was going to be, 700 years. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Hey, that kind of fits, right? He wasn't in Jerusalem, he's out in the wilderness. And here was his message, prepare the way. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Now, back in those days, when a king or some important person would travel through the countryside, they would prepare the way. They would make improvements to the road and they would tell people to be ready and so people would stand alongside the road. There was preparation for an important person coming uh, through your village or down your road. Clear the road for him. Make way for him. He's important. And then all the people, not just Jewish people, then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. Now, the Jews were God's chosen people, but they weren't chosen because there was anything special about them. They were chosen as the people to get the know and understand about God so that they could tell other people, non-Jews, about God. That was their responsibility. They didn't do a very good job of it. Just like our job as a church today is to tell people that don't know about God, about God. So that was his message and it was for everyone. Now the interesting thing is right after this, Jesus comes to be baptized by John and then Jesus begins his teaching, preaching ministry and guess what is the first thing out of Jesus' mouth when he starts speaking that we have recorded? It's repent and turn from your sins. Uh, and turn uh, Repent of your sins and turn to God. It's the exact same thing he says. I think it's in the next chapter. After Jesus leaves this earth, the church begins, uh, with, we call it Pentecost, and Peter gets up. actually outside the temple, and preaches a sermon. Guess what Peter's first sermon is about? (laughs) Repent (laughs) of your sins and turn to God. So what is it that God wants us, wants from you and I? (laughs) Pretty simple, not easy to do, but simple, repeated by John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and others, and should be from us repent of your sins and turn to God. Now, the problem we have with the word repentance, we see it as something negative. You know, I'm doing something wrong that I shouldn't do. I need to change, or I'm not doing something good that I should do. I need to change. Repentance. But the word repentance, and I think I mentioned this last week, simply means turning around. All right? Next slide. Yeah. Turning around. It also has the concept of coming home. Unless this ever happened to you, it doesn't happen much now with our smartphones. If we want i we just tell our our phone take me home, and it takes us home <laughs> you yeah, know well, you don't don't mess it up but in the old days, before smartphones, um, you ever been on a trip somewhere and then it's time to come home and it's some place maybe you've not been before, and you start driving home with the good intentions that you're going in the right direction and you and you're you, you, the thing about when you're away from home and it's time to get home, all you want to do is what? Get home, right? And so if you're like me, you know, you, you know you're probably driving a little faster than you should just because I need it, I want to get home, I want to get home. So you, you're committed, you're, you're making good time, you're making good progress, and you're headed down the road and all of a sudden you just figure out you're going the wrong way. Now at that point you have two options, right? You know, There's less traffic going this way, there's more traffic going that way. I think I'll keep going. You're going to get home? You're not going to get home, right? You've got to turn around, even if it's more difficult. Even though you're making good progress, you've got to stop and turn around. That's what repentance means. But it's more than just turning around. It's coming home, or it's coming to a place or to where you, are you can trust, a place that you are comfortable, a place you're at peace. That's what we usually describe our homes, isn't it? So what about you? Where are you headed? (laughs) Are you headed home or are you headed someplace else? (laughs) Do you need to turn around? Do you need to stop? Do you need to turn around? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? It's not a negative thing. Because we all want to get home. That place of peace. So let's kind of summarize John's uh, message of repentance this way. To see God work around us We've got to let God work within us. And that's part of the repentance process. Joseph and Mary is a good example. You know, they got engaged. And so, you know, after the engagement period, they'd get married and probably have a few kids in the white picket fence. And that was kind of their road they were on, right? And all of a sudden, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant with God's son and you're not even going to have a relationship with your husband. And then Joseph finds out and says, Joseph, you know, uh, this is going to get a little... Dif- difficult before it gets easy. As it turns out, you know, you, you know, they're away from home when the baby's born, and then they have to find out the king wants to kill it, kill the baby, so they, they, they have to travel to Egypt for safety. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to us, but that's a big deal to them. People in that day never, tra- mostly never travel more than 35 miles <laughs> from their home. And I don't know how far it is, from, but it's a long ways to Egypt. And so, They were on this path, uh, you know, live happily ever after, and God completely changed. Of course, they cooperated with God. They turned around. They went the way God directed them to go. So John had a message of repentance, a message for all of us even today. Second part of his message, I'm calling it a message of truth. Now, I want you to imagine that I'm saying what John was saying to his crowd. All right. See, how you would you take it? Let's pick up the story. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said to them, You brood of snakes! That sounds nice, right? You're going to come back next week to hear that, right? We me call you a bunch of snakes. Snakes on the grass. He war- who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? That was his message. It's amazing. People were attracted to that. They came because it was a message of truth. Truth isn't always easy to hear, is it? Then he says, prove, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. It's not enough to say, oh yeah, I've I've repented of my sin. It's not enough to say it. We have to do it. We have to live it. We have to change the way we live and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, we're from the descendants of Abraham, that means nothing. Because they were Jews, descendants of Abraham, God's chosen people, they thought they were good. <laughs> just because they were born Jews. And again, the truth, not easy to hear, that means nothing. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't mean anything for you and I. You may have the most godly parents in the world, it doesn't matter. It's about your relationship. So what motivates you to prepare for Christmas? What motivates you for any kind of, doing any kind of spiritual activity? Is it because of what my family's always done? That's part of our heritage? Is it because maybe uh, fear of the coming wrath? It's, we call it fire insurance. Yeah, I've got to be connected to God to make sure I have my fire insurance. Or is it a desire to be changed, transformed, your life Live your life differently. James, a half brother of Jesus, says faith or talk without works, change of deeds, good deeds, is dead. It's not real. So if you and I have repented and turned to God, there's going to be a change. <clears throat> and that's part of the preparing, is being changed from the inside. Now Paul <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> John's first his seemed to be talking to the wrong people. He was talking to the Jews. He was talking to God's chosen people. He's talking to the religious people. Shouldn't he be talking to the bad people? <laughs> and his method seemed to be wrong. If you wanted to hear a message from God, where did you go? You went to the temple and heard from the priests. And he's this kind of this crazy guy out in the wilderness uh, with the message of God. So his It seemed like he was talking to the wrong people. It seemed like his methods were wrong. But the next couple of verses, we're not going to read them. He said, hey, and this is what you need to do. How are you supposed to change? How to live different? Take care of the poor. Make sure they have food to eat and clothes to wear. And then he says to tax collectors, make sure you don't cheat anybody. And then he says to the uh, soldiers, make sure uh, you uh, treat people right because they had some authority. So he said, prove by the way you live as you repent it and turn to God, see I next slide, please. see i think I see this as a problem for us sometimes. We often practice religion instead of preparing for his presence. It's easy to do this time of year, you know, with going to parties and other religious uh, and religious services we 'll have one Christmas Eve. This was on a Thursday night this week this year. Uh, normally we wouldn't do that, that on the Thursday night. So we're busy doing stuff, maybe even religious stuff, but are we really preparing for his presence? Are we Are really preparing ourselves for his presence? To repeat that statement we made earlier. To see God work around us, we've got to let God work within us. The change has to happen on the inside. And the third part of John's message was a message of humility. A message of humility. And we'll go down a few verses and pick up the story. He says, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. Now, this is amazing to me. It's been 700 years since Isaiah said, get ready, it's coming. Now, if somebody said something 700 years ago, would we be still looking for it to happen today? If somebody said something last week, we probably wouldn't be listening, waiting for it. But this was really a big deal to the Jews. The Messiah, especially considering that Romans controlled them. Hey, this guy's going to come and get rid of the Romans. So they were really expecting it. And so they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. Now, if I'm John, thinking, hey, I could get a lot of, uh, I could be pretty popular. If I just said, yeah, yeah, I'm him. Of course, John knew better. John answered the question saying, I baptize you with water. For repentance, but someone's coming soon who is greater than I, not just a little bit greater than I, but way greater than I. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Now he'll baptize you not just with water for repentance, but with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. We're going to change from the inside. See, we can change two different ways. We can change by willpower. I can stop doing. Putting my foot in my mouth by just determination some of the time, right? The problem with willpower is it always runs out, right? Eventually, I'm going to still put my foot in my mouth, right? That's change from the outside. Change from the inside is completely different. When I'm talking, I'm saying the right stuff almost without even thinking about it, because the change has come from the inside. I don't do it perfectly. There's a whole difference, a big difference when it's change comes from the inside rather than from the outside. But what, do we, what do we mean by humility? Some people say, oh, I'm, just, I'm no good, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. That's not what humility means. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's crazy. We talked about that last week. God has all kinds of positive things to think about you. Sure, you're one of my children and you're valuable and I love you and etc. So don't, you know, you don't think less of yourself. You just think of yourself less. And we got a beautiful, perfect example from Mother Teresa, a wealthy lady that went to India to serve the poor. And this guy comes to her, she's gotten kind of famous, and this guy comes to her and he wants to find out about her. You see how she responds. (laughs) Mother, mother, mm. I don't know if you remember me.
1: I remember you, Mr. Whitcomb.
0: Yes, I, if you were, have a minute, I'd like to have a word with you.
1: As you can see, Mr. Whitcomb, we're, we're very busy here today. It's not good time.
0: Yes, but it would Did only you? take a few minutes, and there are so many people interested in knowing more about you.
1: Mr. Whitcomb. it's not about me. I'm just doing God's work.
0: Yes, well, can we talk about the work you're doing here then?
1: Well, what, what we are doing here is setting up a home where, uh, where people who are dying on the streets can be brought in so they can die with loving faces around them
0: Wait, Mother, Mother Teresa if you would just hold Mr. up Mr. Whittekom
1: getting interview with me is a waste of your time hmm? look outside come hmm? the poor are everywhere right about them that's the important story. I'm
0: just an instrument. Yes, but the people want to hear about you. The people want to hear about you. But it was her response? Not about me. <laughs> right? Not about me. <clears throat> John knew who he was. He was the forerunner, preparing the way for Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the Savior. He's kind of like the best man to Jesus the groom. Nobody notices the best man at a wedding, right? It's all about the bride and the groom. I think especially this time, sometimes at this time of the year, we get what I call the Savior complex. We'll be with friends and neighbors. And in fact, we're, we're hosting the neighborhood party this year. We don't really have a neighborhood if you've been to my house, but, but kind of the street party. And I'm excited about that because probably almost every one of them aren't believers. So we'll get to not, not um, entertain them, but show them hospitality. And the tendency is to try and fix them, isn't it? For us to fix them. It's not our job to fix them. We're not the Savior. John's not the Savior. All he did was point people to the Savior. And that's, that's your job and my job. Point people to the Savior. So John had a message of what? Message of Repentance. Stop going in the wrong way and turn around and start going the right way. And the right way is the way, the place of home or the place connected with God. Message of truth, your life's going to be different. Transformed from the inside out. It's a message of humility. It's not about me. So, has God promised that life's going to be easy? Now, in fact, it isn't, is it? But he does promise us his presence if we'll prepare for it. And we'll end with this this morning. Preparation always precedes his presence. You have to prepare. Again, we don't wake up Christmas morning and say, hey, it's Christmas. No preparation. And if you want to have a transformed life in relationship with God, it takes preparation, our part. Repent, turn around, and come home. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you uh, made it possible through your son Jesus coming to earth, taking on one of these bodies and suffering and dying so that we could be in relationship with you. We could be connected with you. Uh, we messed it up. We did wrong, sinned. It separated us from you, and we couldn't get it back. We couldn't fix it. So you fixed it for us, and it all began with what we celebrate this month—the Advent or the coming of the Messiah, your Son, to Earth. And God, uh, as if we are Jesus followers, we are to be in, in, in anticipation for your second coming, your second advent, where it will begin the, the final events of history. Uh, we want to pray for anyone, God, who's not one of your followers, who hasn't repented, who hasn't turned around, and come home to you. Today would be the day they would understand that you did it all. It's a gift which we need to accept if we're going to be, be in, reconnected with you. That's what forgiveness means. We thank you that... You loved us enough to do all that for us, including suffering and dying. We thank you in Jesus' name. We believe God is here, and we believe where God is. We've prepared, so he's here. He speaks. So the question is, what has he said to you? And what is your response? That's why we have our connect cards, response cards, to let you know what God said to you. Not that we want to be nosy, But uh, we want to know so we can rejoice with you and also help you. So please let us know where you are in that relationship uh, with God through Jesus. Thank you.